Welcome to The Mend, a podcast to learn about services and support for victims and survivors of crime, sponsored through the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. I am Anna Nassett, your host for this bi-monthly podcast and show. And today on the show, we have Nicole Snell joining us from the West Coast to talk about self-defense and empowerment. Thank you for being here, Nicole. Thank you for having me. Um, as our listeners know, this show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concepts for victims, survivors of crime, service providers, and community members. We want to acknowledge our healing process and provide resources, not only in our state of Vermont, but throughout the country that could benefit everyone as they are on their journey to mend. And today we are going to be looking at some of those resources. As always, I like to begin with a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics of healing and empowerment. But with that in mind, we may occasionally hear a story that could be triggering and we urge you to listen at your own discretion. As I said, I'm delighted to have Nicole Snell here today. Nicole and I are collaborative partners for the Difference Makers 10 Strong, a group of speakers working on various subjects to lead change and prevent violence. And though we have not got yet to meet and work together, I'm very much looking forward to that in the future. Um, Nicole is an international speaker, workshop facilitator, and self-defense instructor specializing in sexual assault and violence prevention, education, and personal empowerment. She is the creator of Outdoor Defense, an IGTV series that aims to help people safely stay, be safe while enjoying the outdoors. Nicole is also a senior national speaker for the organization Girls Fight Back and lead self-defense instructor for Impact Personal Safety. Nicole believes in social justice, equality, and that everyone has the right to walk through the world feeling safe, powerful, and confident. Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Anna. It is a pleasure. And I look forward to meeting you in person one day and working with you in person. Absolutely. It will happen. Um, you know, we, we've met during the time of COVID and we're just kind of waiting to see how our worlds unravel and combine, I think is the best yes. way to put it. Exactly. And, you know, we've met under these pressure circumstances. So I feel like that would cement our bond even more. I agree. Totally. <laughs> Um, Nicole, as we start off today, can you share just a little bit with our guests um, about yourself and how you were drawn to this work specifically of self-defense? Well, I started in self-defense about, I took my first self-defense class, I would say 10 years or more ago. I had always been athletic and I have taken martial arts before, but never, you know, progressed within whichever art I practiced it was more for you know for fun I wanted the discipline and you know I just wanted to be active I took my first self-defense class because I was dating someone at the time and we were play wrestling and he pinned me to the ground and I couldn't get out of it even though we were just playing in that instance it wasn't dangerous like it was all in fun but in the back of my head I was thinking Nicole if this was real I don't know what to do and I didn't like that feeling of not knowing. I'm like, what if it's him? What if it's someone else? I, I just didn't know. And I'm the kind of person, if there's something I don't know, I want to seek out knowledge. I want to go and learn. That's what brought me to self-defense. And um, then I took self-defense, but I was still working in the entertainment industry. I was a line producer for many years. And um, a, few year, a few years later, after that, I ended up leaving my position at, um, in production 
because our entire department kind of got scrapped. And around the same time, I was contacted by my old university because they, I was involved with a social justice theater troupe in, in college. And they had gotten a contract to work with the United States Navy, traveling to military installations around the world, doing SAPR training, which is sexual assault prevention and response training. And I had just gotten um, laid off from my job and I had always wanted to do something to help women, to help everybody, but specifically I wanted to help women and do something for women's empowerment and activism. And I felt like this was the perfect opportunity. And so through working with them, I met the folks of Girls Fight Back and I saw the program and I said, hi, I would like to be a speaker for your program. They didn't have an <laughs> opening at the time. And they said, we'll let you know if there's an opening. Three months later, they had an opening. So I am simultaneously doing these facilitated discussions around the world for the military. And then I got my training in Girls Fight Back to be a, a senior national speaker. Part of my training with Girls Fight Back, and they are, they teach seminars. So the seminars are no limit to the audience size. And we teach the basics of personal safety in these really high energy, enthusiastic, empowering discussions, getting the audience on their feet. It's amazing. To be a speaker, we had to take a full contact self-defense class. I took the class. It was through Impact Personal Safety, and you are striking a fully padded instructor full force in realistic scenarios. They are talking to you the way an assailant would talk to you and they are putting you in that kind of adrenalized state, that emotional state, and you're fighting through it. And it was the most amazing life-changing experience. So after my class, I said, hi, I would like to be an instructor for you. How do I do that? And I started the process. I became an assistant, took my training. I believe I've had, gosh, over a hundred plus hours of training to become an instructor. And now I'm an instructor as well for impact personal safety, teaching full contact self-defense. We primarily teach in the Los Angeles area. We have a curriculum at several local high schools where we're, just, we're part of their PE program. They have to take our class for um, young girls. And it's amazing to see their progress as they take the class. And we also travel around as well. Some people can hire us to go out and we can travel you know, around the LA area. We can fly. We've been all over to teach our classes. And those are smaller workshops cap of like 16 to 20 people because everyone you're you're doing you're striking and, and we if you had a bigger class you wouldn't be able to get as much hands-on and we learned so many different you know scenarios what happens if you're attacked from behind what happens if you're on the ground what happens if you get taken to the ground what happens if someone's talking to you there's just so many layers that we add on and we help people think through it and from the moment I got involved, I knew this is what I, I wanted to do. Like, I just found this is my passion. I didn't know that th this career path even would exist to be able to speak on these types of topics and teach people self-defense. And now that I'm doing it, I can't imagine doing anything else. Amazing. It's clear that you're very passionate about it. I love it. <laughs> I love when someone's like, well, at the end, you're like, and it was clear I was passionate about this. I'm like, yes, you are. And that's amazing. <laughs> Um, I think you and I also have in common that some of my best jobs I've ever gotten has been just being like, so I need you to hire me because I'm going to come to work for you. So how do we make that happen? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm known to have done that as well. <laughs> and I think there's something about like when we put ourselves out there and just be like, hey, I want to work for you and you need me as such a powerful, powerful thing of our own self-worth too. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, if you so, you need to ask, be able to ask for what you want. The worst thing they can say is no. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so as we kind of start to unpack what self defense is and what that looks like, 
can you tell me a little bit about your approach? Because there's so many different approaches to self-defense. Um, what is the what is your approach to teaching self-defense for women? And you shared a little bit about building your training, but where did where did the fundamentals of your training come from? So we focus on empowerment self-defense, which is giving the participants, which are primarily women, but we, we also teach people of other genders as well. It's not gender specific because everyone can benefit from learning the basics of how to defend yourself. We come from a, a place of empowerment. We want to give people options. We want to give people confidence. It's not about giving you tips or telling you anything you did in the past is wrong because that's not true. Whatever you did, whatever you do to survive is the right thing to do. And what our goal is, is to just give you tools and options so that you can feel powerful in going out about your life. There's a lot of self-defense out there that teaches a lot of don'ts. Don't go here, don't do there, don't do this. And we don't believe in those. We don't want you to limit your life even more because women are already taught to limit their life stay home. Don't go out at this time. Don't wear that. You know, make sure you don't wear your hair in a ponytail because someone can grab it. I've heard absurd things. We want to open up your world and give you the confidence that you can go out and live and live your life apology free and as exuberantly as you want to live it with just learning some basic some basic things that can help you manage your safety no matter where you are because every situation is going to be different every person's different and we want you to be able to think through your own life and make the best decisions for you so way more empowerment versus fear-based oh yeah not fear based at all because looking at self-defense you're you're facing what would be a scary situation and so i love that you're coming at it from like this is a very empowering thing to learn versus here's the fear that you're going to face and this, you know, I, I just think that's a much better way to tackle that. <clears throat> um, can you share with our listeners some of the fundamentals of empowering self-defense and how they should be used? Yeah, absolutely. One of the most basic things we teach in self-defense is the best fight is the one you never have to fight. Self-defense isn't just physical. And I think that is a, a a very common misconception. People think self-defense, they automatically think, oh, it's about physical and hitting people and kicking someone in the groin and running away. That's part of it <laughs> if it gets to that point. Mm -hmm. But the idea of self-defense is how do you manage your safety as you go about on a daily life? I have yet to have to knee somebody in the groin and run away or hit someone in the face to run away. However, I've used my verbal skills and my body language pretty much every day to manage different situations. And one of the first fundamentals of self-defense is trust your intuition because your intuition is, is a gift. There's a book that I think everybody should read. It's called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. And Very good. It's an amazing book. It talks about fear. We all have fear. Humans have fear, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to limit us. We, we can use our fear to help keep ourselves safe. And, and it's a gift, basically, you know, the gift of fear. Mm -hmm. And he talks extensively about intuition. So trusting your intuition instead of denying, if you something feels off, trust that feeling. A lot of times women, especially, and I know I'm speaking in the binary, but this can apply to anybody, anybody who identifies as a woman, um, anyone of any gender can feel the pressures of feeling like you have to be nice all the time. And you don't want to offend someone. You don't want to hurt their feelings. And sometimes we may put ourselves in a situation that is not as safe for us because we are so concerned about someone else's feelings. So one of the things that I always teach is your safety is more important than someone else's feelings. Amen. Me. Yes. It's more important than someone else's feelings. And 
to be able to trust your intuition is key. Another way of managing your self-defense and your safety is with your awareness, just noticing what's going on around you. That is very important. We're not always in high alert. I'm sitting here, we're sitting here in our houses with nobody else around. I feel pretty safe. I'm not on high alert. I'm not, you know, looking around me wondering if, if something's going to happen. You know, when I walk out my door, I may not be that way either, but I'm going to notice, oh, that car's been parked here for five weeks now, now it has a flat tire, which is actually true. And I, you know, walk down my neighborhood. So just noticing things, noticing if something seems different or off, or if someone's acting a certain way, instead of saying, oh, that's not happening, telling yourself it is happening because that gives you the power. If you notice something, that gives you the power of either taking steps to avoid it, to keep yourself safe. Or if you can't avoid it, you can start thinking of what you can do to manage that situation to get you out of safety as quickly as possible. And if you can get to safety, we of course always recommend that. If you don't have to face the danger, don't face the danger. I have extensive training in self-defense and weapons defense, but I don't go out purposely looking to use them. Right. Because my goal is to not use them. And, yeah. and I think that's really important too. And using your voice, I think that is so incredibly important. Use your voice, speak up, be loud, get the attention of other people if something seems off or even just telling someone, hey, stop right there. That's close enough. I don't want you to come any closer to me. And a, and a firm voice can be a huge deterrent to someone who may think that you are either vulnerable or available. And by using your voice, you're setting a really clear boundary. So body language, how you carry yourself and your voice are really key. And I feel like those are really the fundamentals of self-defense that everyone can use every day of their life. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, we were talking before this started that like I've done self-defense training with mixed martial arts experts and um, over the last 10 years and really had to learn because I was in a continuous place of danger from being stalked and being threatened. Like, how do I navigate life safely and find any sort of freedom while having this danger? And the, the continuous theme was to create that safe life without having to actually confront the, confront the offender. Um, so, you know, it was a thing of, yeah, like if I saw the same car for many days in a row, if I, you know, changing my patterns of walking, just being really aware of my surroundings. And by having that awareness, I had empowerment, which means I was then, it was easier for me to navigate even when it was really challenging. I mean, sure, there were the days where I couldn't leave the house and things like that, but it allowed me to walk out in the world with a plan, with my own safety plan, with the awareness of what I would do um, and really helped me to be able to stay sane and stay alive. So I just, um, I really love the approach that you're coming from. Um, but along with that, like we know there's a lot of misconceptions around self-defense and that I'm, I've heard over and over again. Um, and I'm sure you have too. I mean, yeah, people have just made the most ridiculous comments to me over the years or advice or suggestions. And um, I don't know if we want to really give them voice at all, but how we can kind of talk about the misconceptions around self-defense. Yeah, I mean, we can really talk about, um, I took some notes earlier. Yeah, so I guess one of the, one of the common misconceptions about self-defense is that something that you learn is gonna guarantee your safety. Yes. And I wish that that was actually true. I wish there was something that we could give to people that would be effective 100% of the time. But we have to be realistic and understand that self-defense is, 
it's a continuum. And we said, we're not always in danger. So we have to figure out ways to manage our safety as we move during, you know, move through different aspects of our life and different places that we travel, but understand that nothing is guaranteed. And all we can do is our best. It's not about blaming anyone. It's not saying, oh, you should have done this or you should have done that. Um, sometimes I have, you know, people come up to me after a presentation or even online and say, this and this happened, what should I have done? And I will tell them, well, you're here today, right? You did the right thing, you're here. And you may feel, you know, they, they may feel that they could have done something better. It's that hindsight, you know, it's like if someone says something to you and insults you, you go home and think about it for like a few hours, you're like, I should have said this. And I get that that idea of like, oh, I could have done this better. But at the same time, you have to give yourself credit for you. You did it. You, you got away. You're safe. You're home. That's, that is the important part. So the idea that anything can guarantee be guaranteed to work, we have to address that right off the bat and be like, no, we can't make guarantees. We can just give you, give you options and give you tools and, and hope for the best. It's the idea of we were teaching these skills, these important life skills, because we hope we never have to use them, but they're there in case we do. Yeah. Um, another misconception is I hear this a lot in classes that if you set a boundary with somebody that it's going to make them so angry that now they're going to attack you, that the mm. idea is that you, you, you shouldn't make someone mad because by you standing up for yourself, you're going to make them so mad you, by you telling them, no, that they're going to now, now they're going to be violent against you when they weren't before. We have to remind people in class and students that if someone is out to hurt you, that was their original goal. You cannot turn a good person into an attacker. There are so many good people in my life, good men in my life. There's nothing I could say to them that would make them hurt me. So right. if I set a boundary with someone and that person hurts me, that means that was always going to be their intention at some point. They were waiting. So it's an even more important that you set that boundary with that person and, and, and use your voice and use your self-defense if you have to. And um, are there any other misconceptions and specifically that you want me to address? I can. No, I mean, I've had like, I think, you know, we've heard them all over the, the gamut, but I think, you know, for me, like the biggest thing I learned from the get go was your goal is to get away safely. Yes. <laughs> your goal is not necessarily to stay there for the fight. Your goal is to get away safely. And, um, you know, that was a misconception I would hear from people in the beginning, like, well, you know, you should do this and this and this so you can fight. And it's like, no, your goal is to get away and to find safety. And um, like, that's been always something that's really kind of been in my mind um, whenever I'm doing my own safety planning. Like if I move into a new place or start a new job, just how I safety plan around that. It's always with that goal of where's safety at? How do I get to safety? How do I create safety? How do I create space so that I can find that um, has just been really important to me. That's so spot on. I'm glad you said that. That's hundred percent right. Yeah. The goal of self-defense is first not have to use it. And then to get to safety, you strike until you can get away. The point is not to just continue to beat that person to a pulp. Right. You want to get away. It's not about style points. It's not about how many techniques you get to use. It's, you know, if you hit them once and they're down and you can run into the store, that, then you do that. That's what you do. That's what you do. Absolutely. Um, so something that's been really important for me is situational awareness and safety planning. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what those two things are and what they look like and how they can work towards empowerment? Absolutely. Situational awareness 
ties in with what I was saying earlier about being aware. It's, it's really just noticing what's going on around you. And it doesn't, the expectation isn't that you have to look over your shoulder every second of the day and, and live in a state of constant anxiety. The idea is just to be proactive. Like you said, if you notice something to let yourself say to yourself in your head, I noticed this. To ask yourself the question, what's going on? And then being able to make decisions based on that. If we are constantly denying the information that our body's giving us, the intuition that we're, you know, that our body is sending us, its whole purpose is to keep us safe. But if we constantly deny it and ignore it, then it's not able to help us and do what it's, it's meant to do, which is to keep us safe. And by acknowledging something, then we have taken our power back and now we can do something about it. I was on a walk the other day and I noticed a baby stroller sitting off the curb like where a car would park but there was no cars it was just a baby stroller and I was walking up to it and I was like and there was no one else around it was daytime and I was thinking to myself that's odd for a baby stroller to be right there and there I, I wonder if there's a baby in it I wonder if someone left it. it it just it was out of place right so I I kept thinking to myself okay and I kind of made an arc around it and I walked and then I saw that it was packed full of things and then I saw someone lying on the ground in front of it like covered in a blanket and it looked to be someone who's homeless unfortunately but that was what they were using to transport their personal items and then it clicked oh okay now it makes sense but giving myself that permission to see that something looked off and figuring out okay well if it is what am I going to do if 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 there is a baby there, what am I going to do? If there's nothing there, you know, start thinking through what, what can you do? So situational awareness is important and it depends on the situation. Giving yourself permission to look behind you, hear a noise, look behind you. You hear something, look, see, acknowledge. And to your point of safety planning, I think what you said was really spot on about how you go into a place or you're moving somewhere new and you think, okay, where are the exits? Where is safety? I think that's a great habit to get a hold of even not just in the sense of self-defense, but, you know, we live in Southern California. Earthquakes are a reality for us. So many of us have earthquake kits and, you know, you know, what, what are you going to do? You have to earthquake plan. Well, if there's an earthquake, where are you going to go? And where's your meeting place with your family? And, you know, what exit are you going to use? And if that exit's closed, what are you going to do? It's, it's kind of the same thing. So it's not something you have to think about every day and, and make it be an obsessive thought, but just have an idea so that when an emergency happens, you already have a plan in mind. You know where the exits are. You know where the doors are. You know yeah. you've set up with the neighbor. If something happens, you can go to their house or, or whatever it is. I think that is a, a very powerful way of just taking control of your own life and, and feeling powerful. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, I live here in Vermont in a very, very rural area, which, you know, is very safe. Um, Vermont is one of the safest states in our country, yada, da. But for me, we don't have local law enforcement. We have state police and they're 25 minute drive away. So I kind of do the safety plan of being like, okay, if something were to happen, um, law enforcement isn't going to be able to get here. Like, how do I, you know, like, where do I go? What do I do to create space and safety for myself? Um, and even back in the day with my safety planning, when um, the offender in my case, the stalker was not incarcerated, I I was very careful after I lost my business to, to go after a company and say, Hey, you're going to hire me just like you did. Um, that was a high-end lumber company because it was all men that work there. And I went to work with them and I, they're like, where do you want your desk to be? And I picked the far back corner with my back to the wall so that I could see all points of entry and I could see all windows. 
And I jokingly said to them, because I'm the only female, if I sit any closer, people are going to think I'm the secretary and I'm not. So they had no idea why I actually picked that seat. And I made kind of just a little joke to them. But for me, I could see everything. And in being able to see everything, I had empowerment. I felt safer. Um, so I think, you know, and I've had to go, like, there's some of us that have had to go to some great lengths, but it just becomes very normal. And by having that as my normal behavior, it's made the stress and fear go away. That's great. I think that's, that's so important. So, yeah, so those are just some of my things that I think are really important. Um, like, as we're kind of moving through this, we've talked a little bit about, like, are there any things around de-escalation that you would like to share with us? Like, you're, if somebody is potentially going to attack you, is there ways that you think are helpful for people to know for de-escalation? Yes, I'm glad that you brought that up, especially in our current situation with COVID and there are people with a lot of heightened emotions that you are experiencing when you are going out and handling your essential business at the grocery store or the bank or now retail stores are starting to open. People are feeling a lot of different ways and if you've seen on the news it's it's led to you know some pretty tense confrontations. With de-escalation we talk about using our verbal strategy so trying you may have to raise your voice to meet the person where they are if they're yelling and then bring your voice down and the idea with de-escalation is you're not trying to win the argument you're not trying to appease your ego at this point you're just trying to get away safely you're trying to just de-escalate this person enough to where you can get to a safe place if you're not able to just immediately like leave the situation and it can be as simple as just keeping your voice calm and saying i i don't mean you any trouble i don't want any trouble what is it that you need what is it that I can do? It we oh um, one thing I want to tack onto this is the idea of, of us feeling like we have to constantly apologize. We have nothing to apologize for for setting boundaries. It's one of the things that we say in our class. The one rule: no sorries. No one's allowed to say I'm sorry <laughs> because you're not. You have nothing to be sorry for. Nothing. And yeah. when you're when you're fighting a fully padded instructor, we don't want that to be in your mindset of you hitting them. Like they're protected, they're safe. It's our instructor's job to keep each other safe. And if there's a problem, we'll talk. But the students are just supposed to hit. They're not supposed to hit and go, "Oh, I'm sorry, I hit you too hard." Ah, uh -uh, hit full force. Yeah. But if you are in a situation that you're de-escalating, you may have to say you're sorry, whether you mean it or not, as a de-escalation strategy. Now, there's something that the instructors say in our impact classes about de-escalation, where if someone is really already heightened and it doesn't really feel like you're gonna be able to get them down, there's a few things that you wanna avoid doing. You wanna avoid commanding that person. You don't wanna tell that person, well, go away, cause that can escalate it more. They're already heightened. You wanna avoid commanding them. You wanna avoid insinuating that they're wrong. So if they say, that's my parking spot. No, it was mine. Well, then you're saying that they're wrong, which again, can blow it up. So avoid commanding, avoid insinuating that they're wrong, avoid threatening them. Like, well, if you don't do this, then I'm going to do this and this. And you want to avoid challenging them. So if you can avoid those four things and instead be like, look, I don't, I don't mean any trouble. I didn't mean any harm. I'm just trying to get home. I don't want there to be a situation. I'd like to just, I want to just walk away now. Yeah. Maybe you can you ask, take the parking spots, whatever. Yeah. yeah you can have the last can of whatever it is, or, you know, Hey, you know what, if maybe you can go talk to that person over there. If you're in a, in a business and you can say, Hey, maybe that employee can help you, whatever it is to try to just 
extricate yourself from the situation. And you may leave being like, ah, I wish I would have said this. And that person may be calling you names, whatever. Try to keep your face neutral and calm and just, just know that that is your strategy. They don't know that, but you know that. And you're just trying to get out of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, you know, working through, I don't know if you want to address it all. Like I didn't really put this in here, but working through that adrenal dump that happens where, I mean, Maybe you could just go ahead and quickly talk about adrenal dumps because you're probably yeah. going to be better about it than I am. But yeah, <laughs> what that is and how you work through that in these situations. So when you're faced with a any kind of dangerous, traumatic, um, heightened situation like that, you can feel adrenaline pump through your body. So hormone pumps through your body and your, your heart rate may increase, your blood pressure may increase, you may feel shaky a lot of times. Um, your fine motor skills don't work as well when adrenaline happens. So you're, you might find that, oh, now I can't put my key in my door. I can't put my key in my car to start my car because that's a fine motor movement, which is when we're training in our impact classes, we fight through the adrenaline response and all of our moves are gross motor movements. That way, when you are faced with that adrenaline response, you're not trying to do anything highly articulated. You're doing something gross motor movement. It's procedural memory now because we've trained in that high intensity adrenaline state in a realistic situation so that students can know what that's like and know how to manage it. So if you haven't had that kind of training, that's fine. You can still manage through it, but just understand that you are going to, you're going to feel physiologically, you're going to feel it. And if you notice shakiness, if you notice that you can't do these small movements, you can't zip your purse up, you can't, you know, grab something, you can't pick up your water bottle or you stumble or you fumble. That's just part of it. Just take some deep breaths. When you get to a safe space, just let yourself feel the feelings that you have because they're all valid and normal. Mm -hmm. Drink some extra water that day. Get some extra rest. Take care of yourself and know that you may have weird dreams. Whenever you have uh, adrenaline dump, your body tries to like work it out in your unconscious mind and you might have weird dreams. Yeah. And it can take a long time for it to work out, which is a whole other subject we're not even going to get into. Yeah. Today, but some one I <laughs> the personally The neurobiology of trauma. <laughs> is so fascinating. Um, yes. But yes. Uh, so yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Um, one, I'd like to kind of talk about weapons, the good, the bad, the yes and the no of them. Yes. Um, and yeah, just kind of, I'm going to segue with a little story. I even though I've trained in self-defense and done all these things, because I was in fear for so long, it's been nearly impossible for me to go walk alone. And I live in the country. It's beautiful. You want to go walk these country lanes. And recently I started doing it again. And um, one thing for me is people have always said to me, no offense, but mostly males have always said to me, you better carry a gun everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, you should carry a gun. And I don't, but what I do do is I do carry a small knife that I can, you know, tuck into my waistband. If I'm listening to music, I only put one earbud in. I do these different things so that I feel like I can confidently go out there and do this thing that I was scared to do for so long, but I can do it in this empowered way. And that I have something with me if I were to need it. Um, and the other day I actually went walking alone in the woods for the first time in 10 years. And it was only a short patch of woods, but I found myself more nervous if there was going to be a bear around than if I was going to get attacked by a man. I was like, I think that's some good progress that I'm now worried about the bears. So, um, I agree. <laughs> but yeah, but so, I mean, just as far as weapons go, there's so many different opinions on them. Um, I've personally trained in a lot. For me, I feel confident carrying a knife. I feel like 
I'm going to be much more able to use that. Um, I'm not going to accidentally shoot my foot off through my purse or shoot someone else's foot off. Like those are just the things that go through my mind, but I'd love to hear your opinion on weapons, how we should be trained on them and just everything around that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your, um, your story and, and kind of your mindset as you, as you go about it and what you carry and, and why you feel confident carrying it. Cause that's, that's really important. It's your personal safety. Everyone's personal safety is, is up to them. I'm not Bingo. the expert of anyone else's safety. Like you are, I can give you options and tools and education for then you to decide how you're going to tackle your personal safety. So my opinion on weapons is I am an advocate for education. I, if someone wants to carry something and they want to be trained and learn how to use it, then by all means, go for it. I would point you to resources to help you with any of those things because I think education is important. I'm not an advocate for weapons. So you'll never hear me say that you should carry X, Y, or Z. But if yeah. you do choose to carry one of those things, that is your personal choice. There's two rules that we talk about with weapons in uh, Girls Fight Back. And that is the, the first thing is that anything that you bring into a fight can be used against you. And yep. we just have to acknowledge that that's a reality, no matter what that is, whether it's the rock you pick up on the ground in, in a pinch or something that you're actually carrying um, purposefully. And anything you bring into a fight, you should have training with it. We just talked about adrenaline and how it affects your fine motor skills. I know a lot of people that carry pepper spray and they've never used it. They've never picked, taken out and shot it. They don't know the stream. All manufacturers have different, you know, they either come out in a spray or they come out in a smaller stream. There's, there's differences to how it's unlocked. You need to practice with that because that's a fine motor movement, taking it out, unlocking it, aiming it, pressing it. You're not going to suddenly be a superhuman in a stressful situation where you're adrenalized if you haven't practiced with it. So Absolutely. if anyone is going to carry a weapon, I, my strong suggestion is to just train in it, train in it, feel comfortable with it, know how to use it, feel confident in in pulling it out um, and, and being able to use it if you need it. I have, um, I have trained in, in guns because I wanted to know how to use one. I never wanted to be in a situation where maybe there was a gun on the ground and I needed to disarm it or pick it up and I was, didn't want to know. I wanted to know that I'd be able to do that safely. So I got trained. I am not trained in handling a firearm in an adrenaline state. I've been to the range and I can shoot things targets you know standing still not moving the targets not moving like i i do that because i want to just keep my skills up and and feel you know efficient at it same with um, shotguns go to the skeet range things like that because i just want to feel proficient in handling it but i'm not proficient in those things in an adrenaline situation so i wouldn't feel comfortable bringing in a, a weapon to a situation because i haven't trained with it in that way but if i trained with it in that way my opinion would probably change so for myself, I don't carry any weapon other than just my body and my mind. And no matter if you carry a weapon or not, we always say that your body and your mind are your strongest weapon. Knowing that you are worth fighting for is the best weapon you can ever have. And to never rely on something else. Like don't put all your personal safety into this one thing because you may not be able to carry that somewhere. You may not be able to fly with it if you have to travel somewhere overseas. And then are you then have you put so much stock in that thing that now you feel completely helpless and scared versus putting it in your body and being like, okay, I know I can handle myself, but I have this additional thing that I'm trained in that I know that it can give me some extra help if I need it. That's, that's perfectly kind of how put. I feel on it. That is perfectly put. And I, I, I don't know if I said this earlier, but I have extensively trained on like <laughs> specifically 
using a knife through adrenaline with a mixed martial art expert. And that's amazing. And I still keep doing that training. I practice. Um, and you know, I really echo you like my brain and my body are my biggest, are my biggest strength. And it's, it's knowing that I'm worth fighting for. And I think you just, that really nails it right there for me. Um, and really kind of segues us into like, how, you know, with that thing of like, I'm worth fighting for, I'm worth living, even if this person is trying to take that away from me, how do you use self-defense for empowerment, specifically for victims and survivors of crime um, and sexual assault specifically? Um, how do we start to use these tactics to bring that empowerment part about when we may have already gone through things that have told us we're not worth fighting for. We're not worth living. That's such a great point. I'm so glad you brought that up. So first of all, I'm going to say to any survivors listening, you're here. You did the right thing. You did the right thing. There's, there is, you survived. You're here with us. And self-defense isn't about trying to tell you that anything you did should have been done differently. It's about giving you tools and knowledge and confidence that so going forward, you know, and you feel like you can handle yourself if a situation like that arises again. And people who have taken self-defense studies have shown that if you take self-defense, you're less likely to have to use it. And you're less likely to be targeted because you carry yourself with more confidence. You're more comfortable standing up for yourself and speaking up for yourself. We work with a lot of survivors that come to our class that have been recommended by their therapists to come and take the class and to come to the seminars because it can help you rewrite your story in your mind to know, to, to, to say, all right, that happened to me. But now I know that there's, that there's more that I can do if this happens again, that I'm powerful, that that person was wrong for taking my power away or for violating me in that way, that it's their fault. It is always the perpetrator's fault. There's no, there's no gray area. It is always the criminal's fault for the crime. And just because you know self-defense or learn it, that does not make you then responsible for making sure nothing happens to you. Like that onus mm -hmm. is not on you. And in Empowerment self-defense is about taking people as they are and creating a safe space for them to learn these skills, to help give them confidence and help them move forward in their life in a more confident and powerful way. Awesome. I love that. That's so important to remember. I like, thank you for really highlighting that, that it isn't the fault. It's not about going, this is what I should have done, how I could have done this differently. It's all about, I mean, it really has been, I know for myself, so healing and so strengthening to just be like, I, I am stronger and I do walk taller and I do speak my voice clearer and all of those things that um, wouldn't have happened, to be honest. So thank you for sharing that and for all the work that you're doing. Um, I feel like we've covered a ton here and kind of gone through all of our questions, but is there anything um, that you feel like you'd like to share that we really left out that was a major point um, as we close down this episode? Um, I think we we're talking about earlier about um, how self-defense can empower survivors and kind of rewrite their story. Uh, there was a point that I wanted to make and then it just like flitted away in my brain and I'm trying to think if I can remember it really quickly without taking up too much time. Um, uh, I will remember it. I'll remember it. Okay. You can time. come back on any time. 
<laughs> this is one of those topics where I'm like, oh, we have 45 minutes, but we could talk for like three hours. Hours. Yeah. I think I just remembered it. Okay. Something that I say a lot in my sessions is self-defense is not about what you should do. It's about what you can do. What can you do in that situation? It's not about doing a move perfectly. It's not about making sure that you, you know, you, you landed it in, in the sequence that maybe you learned it because it's just about doing, doing whatever you can to get away, whatever that is. You know, sometimes we'll be in class and, you know, maybe the eye strike doesn't go right into the helmet eyes. It like goes off to the side, but it's still in the area. Like it doesn't matter. The, the will to fight is so important and you have to figure out what that is. What is it you're fighting for? Sometimes people aren't sure what they're, what's, what they are fighting for. And especially if you're talking about, you know, the majority of sexual assaults are committed by someone known to the survivor. And that idea of there's a relationship there, there's a rapport there, maybe the, the thought in the head is, well, I don't wanna hurt someone I know, but, the, but you have to remember that you're worth fighting for. If this person is hurting you, they do not care about you. They are yeah. not your friend. They are not someone who loves you. They are hurting you and you have full right and full authority to defend yourself by any means necessary to get yourself to safety. And you have to find out what that thing is to fight for. There was, I, I can do I have time to tell a quick story. Absolutely. Yeah. We've got all the there, time. <laughs> oh, great. There is um, one of, they, they tell this in our, in our, actually, no, I'm not sure. It's someone else's story. So I probably shouldn't tell someone else's story um, on second thought, but the That's idea okay. is when we're in class, I can say this. Sometimes we have parents, you know, moms in the class, they have kids. Sometimes they come to class with their daughter. Sometimes they don't, but they, you know, and they will have them in class and teach them how to yell. And maybe they're not yelling really loud, or maybe we see that they're kind of not striking to their full potential. And we'll ask them, well, what if something was happening to your child? And then the, just the fierce comes out. If something was happening to my child, like I would just tear that person, you know, they, that is their permission. That's what they're fighting for. And we have to tell them, okay, if that's what you have to give yourself permission to do that for you, because you are every bit as much worth fighting for as, you know, an external, you know, family member or friend or et cetera. And, and knowing that, that whatever that, that trigger is for you to help turn you into the fierce person that you are to defend yourself, you got to figure out what that is. And nobody can tell you what that is, but you, and you are fully capable. There are a lot of, one of the myths is that, oh, a woman can't take down a full grown man. I have had men come into my DMs on Instagram and tell me, oh, well, you know, it's not that easy to hit someone or it, you know, that won't really work, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, don't listen to those people. Don't listen to those no. voices because they're just trying to minimize your power. You are fully capable. Everyone listening, no matter what your gender is, you are fully capable of defending yourself. If you have, if you are a person that has a disability, you are still capable. There are still things that you can do, uh, modifications that you can make. Your voice is still your most powerful weapon, but you have to tell those voices that are in your head telling you that you can't do it or that you're not strong enough. You have to find a way to silence them and instead tell yourself, I am strong. I can do this. I am powerful. No one is so strong that if you poke them in the eyeball that they are going to be able to withstand that and be like, oh, that doesn't hurt. It's not the movies. You heal palm someone in the nose. It's going to cause pain. If you knee someone yeah. in the groin, it's going to cause pain and maybe enough time for you to get away. You may have to strike them again, but there, there are so many misconceptions. And instead of 
being in a situation and getting into the mindset loop of, oh my gosh, what is this person going to do to me? One of our instructors in our impact says, change the thinking and say, what am I going to do to them? Yep. Absolutely. I remember one of the first things my instructor taught me. He's like, well, it's either you or them. So you pick, cause I, he was like, can you harm somebody? I was like, well, I don't know. And he's like, well, it's either you or them. And, and that really shifted it for me, um, was being like, no, it's me. I'm not going down this way. And that really shifted for me, how I was able to approach it and break through from that. I'm sorry place to I've got this, I've got me place. Absolutely. And your voice is so powerful. We, we practice verbal skills a lot because having a strong verbal strategy can oftentimes get you out of a, a tough situation because if someone is approaching you, if an assailant is approaching you, they're trying to figure out if they're someone that they want to target. They're trying to interview you basically is what we call it. They're trying to see, are you vulnerable? Are you going to let them push into your boundaries? Are you going to set, a, you know, whatever it is. And by setting a boundary and telling them, Hey, I want you to stop right there. Take a step back. Look, I'm not interested in having a conversation leave. You now have set a tone of someone who's confident and powerful and not as vulnerable as that person thought. And that in itself can be a deterrent because assailants for the most part are not looking for a fight. They're looking to commit the crime, as quietly as possible because they don't want to get caught and get away with it. So any kind of resistance and strong body language and a loud voice can be such a strong deterrent. And that's something that anybody can do. Yeah. And hopefully avoid a, a physical, but if you need to use your physical, then we teach that as well, because it's just good to have in your back pocket. <coughs> I love it. And the stronger our voice, the stronger we are truly. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much for being here today. Like I said, I could talk to you for hours about all of this, but it's been so great to have you here today, Nicole. Um, and just thank you for all the work you're doing. Um, for people to learn more about your work, they can go to girlsfightback.com. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Awesome. So everyone, girlsfightback.com. And I always like to close with just one short message that's really positive because we're talking about heavy things and We've talked a lot about empowerment today too, but is there one last parting thought you could share with our listeners? Yes. My parting thought is, remember, you are worth fighting for. Damn straight. Thank you. Damn straight. Thank you so much for having me, Anna. It yes. has been such a joy and you're so lovely and the work that you're doing is so powerful and amazing. And thank you for sharing your story and for being here and, and open and willing and, and doing so much for the community. Thank you so much. It's such a joy to work with you. And I can't wait till we get to do that in person. Um, thank you to our listeners uh, for tuning in to hear Nicole Snell here today. Um, as always, if you have any questions or thoughts for the show, you can email me, Anna at standupresources.com. I'm your host, Anna Nasset, here with Nicole Snell. I look forward to being with you next time. Stay well, be well, and be strong. Goodbye.